Welcome to Listener's Advisory, the San Diego Public Library podcast. Need some hip-hop in your life? Today, we'll meet a local creative that lists podcaster, rapper, and filmmaker on his resume. Also, we'll hang with a librarian who's passionate about music and introducing you to gems you may have missed. So stick around. This should be fun. Hey everyone, today we're trying something new. In this first segment, we'd like to introduce you to a person whose work has made a huge impact on San Diego and beyond. This feature is part of a new series of profiles on creatives from our region. Our aim is to get you familiar with folks making San Diego life more interesting. We hope you enjoy. If you've listened to KPBS, San Diego's NPR affiliate station in the past six months, you've probably heard this voice. Good morning, I'm the mighty infamous Parker Edison. Parker Edison is the host of the Parker Edison Project, one of the more recent podcast offerings from the station. I'm from Würzburg, Germany in birth, but I grew up here on the West Coast, San Diego, California primarily. I'm a rapper, a writer. Uh, and a multimedia journalist. Parker and his team just wrapped the first season of the 10-episode series that focuses on American culture, specifically perspectives that are more reflective of lived experiences, not only by regional voices, but from some underground creatives that truly make American culture interesting. It's a, it's a wonderful collaborative effort. It examines the tenets of culture. It, it is my, my show, but I co-created it with rapper Id the Poet, also known as Kurt Conan. I have a, a, a just a, a little brain trust of, of cats. Chris Reyes is my is my sound editor and engineer, and he's also a writer. Busy Balboa is a correspondent. Sojourn, Trey Sojourn Hodgins is our music supervisor. So it's really this collaborative effort of, of rappers getting into to another lane and all just unifying to make something really, really interesting. While the podcast zooms way in on American culture, one recurring topic is hip-hop. Parker and his collaborators are all active participants in San Diego's rich hip-hop scene. The Parker Edison Project not only pays homage to hip-hop culture, it examines our city's hip-hop roots. The Underground Improv was an early San Diego venue featured in the series, which served as a jump-off point for the city's hip-hop scene. In the Southeast episode, you chose to feature the Underground Improv. What does San Diego's hip-hop scene mean to you? It's integrity. It's pure integrity. It's artists who are building for the sake of art. One of the the strangest movements that's come out of our city was a a group of rappers who had the, the motto of F the industry. Uh, literally saying that they didn't care about wages or celebrity. It's literally just art for art's sake. And I truly think that's the legacy uh, San Diego has has built in, in our rap scene and our rock scene. Uh, we constantly feed other cities uh, always. We're always giving them ideas and, and talent. San Diego, is, is our rap scene in particular, is just art for art's sake. Knowing Parker and hearing him touch on themes of the city and hip-hop was not surprising. These are things that might as well be in his DNA. However, I was surprised by some of the more personal details revealed in the show, specifically his connection to faith and religion. So I've known you for many years, but I just learned that you're a man of faith in the rap and religion episode. How does your spirituality drive your creativity? Uh, I'm a big fan of understanding and 
if you don't understand something, it's magic. And if you do understand it, it's science and religion sits right in between. It's right. It's the middle. And so religion gives me strategies to create and it also gives me moral parameters to sit in it keeps me from ever selling my soul or just selling out artistically like religion plays a a, and spirituality plays a a huge part in in the directions that I choose to go and and the goals I I never want to create anything that uh, I wouldn't be pleased to, to take credit for in heaven one of the most refreshing and recurring highlights from the show was a game Parker likes to play with his guests Six Degrees of Sepperwayans is a play off the old Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon game, except in his version, guests challenge him to connect various Hollywood figures to the Wayans, a family of creatives that are not only emblematic of black wealth, but black excellence. I asked him if these connections were on purpose. Absolutely. Absolutely. The competitiveness that people just naturally have, that they, they jump right into it and be like, trying to prove how I was wrong or try to prove how it could have been done faster. When they do that, they automatically are accepting the idea that a black family is the center of Hollywood. And that's the real mission. As Parker noted in his intro, he's not just a podcaster, but a writer. A quick Google search reveals a repertoire of creative endeavors that include various podcasts, public speaking, film and music the last two being mediums he's particularly passionate about. You've long dabbled in filmmaking from the Lorna Dune DVD and Shortbread to 2020's Run Rick, all of which showcase your music. How do you reconcile the two mediums as a creative? They're the same in, in the sense of if you remove one element, you get another version of it. So if you take um, if you take a, 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 a movie and you take the the visual away you might just have a a book right if you take the chapters away from a book then you just have like a poem and if you take the you know the length of a poem and just bring it down to its minimal it's a it's a thought right so uh, everything is just one thing but if you add one more level to it then it appeals to the senses and it just gets bigger you know i mean there's nothing there's no difference between the the you know, the opinion, the book, the script and the movie, they're all, they're all the same thing. So the music falls right in line. It's all, it's all just playing with the same idea of conveying what you have in your mind and just applying different senses or or feeding into different senses to do that. Many of Parker's creative efforts have a hustler's edge and distinct street smarts while simultaneously showing notes of the avant-garde. It's an uncommon combination that makes his art refreshing and compelling. The crux of hustling is finding a new and unique way to do something, uh, specifically the thing that the other guy didn't think of. It's the same thing with creating art, and that's literally what makes the avant-garde, is literally doing the thing that the other guy didn't do, but wanted that result. While Parker's forays into these various mediums have resulted in some excellent content, his roots in hip-hop itself specifically rapping and emceeing is definitely where his heart is how long you been rhyming uh junior high i think i started writing my first raps in junior high do you remember them uh i don't but i'll tell you this i'll tell you this one of the lines i that that i used to say all the time two two of them two of them one is i used to do the verse from rampage um i used to do cool j's verse 
from EPMD's Rampage. I was always super impressed by that, so I used to use that in, in uh, battles in the seventh grade. Playing MCs like an old accordion? Oof! That's one. Uh, and when I would write my own verses, the, the line that, that made me write my first rap was Everlast was on Yo! MTV Raps. He was in D.C., and he, he had this line, and at, at the end of his verse, he was like, uh, some of the, the mic blew up and only ashes were swept up. I, I must have wrote 52 renditions of that one Everlast line. It was so impressive to me, and it, it made me want to write raps. So those are, those are two that I remember from back then, yeah. Even as an MC, Parker has reinvented himself several times over. I first met him some 15 years ago when he was part of the duo Parker and the Number Man. In the years since, I've seen him put out one-off projects such as The Elephants in the Room with DJ Gargar, the PEEP with Producer Evolve, and the Parker Meridian, a live band with Nathan Hubbard and John Reeder. What's behind your constant reinvention, not only as an MC, but as a creative? I'm old. I'm a, I'll be 44 this year, and I'm... I'm I'm really proud of that. And I don't think rap has people getting older and it doesn't have, uh, there's not a lot of artists that you can look back and see them, their catalog uh, evolving with their age. You know, we we're talking about Everlast and House of Pain earlier. He's, he's a fantastic example of, of an artist that you can see his art is aging wonderfully. And, uh, and he's not afraid to show you his grays and, and to show you, um, his 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 age as it manifests and so that's what i'm trying to do constantly despite his perpetual reimaginings the brand remains the same while parker continually searches for new avenues by which he can refocus and further develop his artistic vision his grind and dedication are steady wherever his next creative venture leads it's clear his ambitions are as unorthodox as his path how do you define success as a creative freedom freedom to to make decisions to execute them that's the goal freedom catch season one of the parker edison project wherever you get your podcasts you can find his music film shorts and even a ted talk via the search engine of your choice or you can check out our show notes for links to some of his more recent work Hey folks, Bob here. Today I'm with Dustin Vogel, Librarian 2 in the Special Collections and Teen Service Areas at the Central Library. Dustin is the host of the web series Speed Date with a Record. The series features snippets of different records, giving the listener a brief introduction and help in selecting their next checkout. Dustin, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm getting used to the Central Library being more or less fully opened without need for a mask if you're vaccinated. So it's kind of a whole new world right now. Right on, right on. Can you tell me about the Speed Date series? I understand it's a series that multiple librarians contribute to. It is. Uh, it started with uh, my supervisor, Vanessa, and uh, she started the series, and uh, you gave a basic rundown on it, but I'll give a little more detail. We take the first few paragraphs from three books, we do a recording for each one, and then we present it on Instagram and Facebook with visuals that are created by another coworker, Dina. And then uh, our users, who are mostly teen patrons, look at it and then they, um, they decide on basically what they would like to read next. We did that for a while and uh, I was just looking for a way to expand it. And uh, I'm honestly, even though I'm a librarian, I'm not a great reader, but I consume music. 
I pretty much listen for music from, you know, when I wake up to the end of the day. So I decided I should branch out and do something that I do a lot, which is music. So the first uh, speed date with a record was for punk rock for a day, which is in October. And I've been a punk rocker since I was 12 years old, so I took a lot of interest in that. Basically, I use the same format where I present three albums, you know, clips of three songs from three albums, and then everyone gets to vote on what they would like. We're really just trying to, to bring the spotlight to things that teen patrons wouldn't uh, normally notice because they're too old. And after I started Speed Date with a record, we started doing Speed Date with a graphic novel and Speed Date with a movie, which is, you know, same thing. But uh, we're just trying to bring the light to things that teens don't normally see. So do you have some recommendations from the series for us today? Absolutely. Like I said, I've, I've been a punk rocker since the mid-90s. And the first one we did uh, for a speed date with a record was uh, for punk rock for a day. Basically, I'm really into hardcore. And hardcore is the second wave of punk rock. Punk started in the mid-70s. And then the second wave was hardcore. And it was played much faster, much harder with complete abandon. And really, the band that kind of puts that all together for me the most is the Bad Brains from Washington, D.C. And they were on Speed Date with a record. Bad Brains were formed in Washington, D.C. in the mid-70s. They started as a jazz fusion band, but then turned to punk rock after being introduced to it by their friend. They played so many wild and violent shows in D.C., They were banned from almost, well, pretty much all the venues in Washington, D.C., and they had to move to New York so they could play places that kind of spawned the song Banned in D.C., which is one of their most famous songs. Even though they're from, you know, the the mid and late 70s, their first full-length record release did not come out until 1982, which is a little late for hardcore, or at least for the origins of hardcore. Um, And that's the record I'm recommending. It's Bad Brain self-titled record. It's their first record. But if you hear about it, you probably heard of it as the Yellow Tape because it came out on Roar Records, which was a cassette-only record label at the time. So when it was first released, it was on a, a tape with the Yellow album cover, so it's known as the Yellow Tape. And really the reason that I find Bad Brains to be so fantastic is they play so fast, which, you know, hardcore is fast, but they play so technically. So a lot of hardcore bands or punk rock bands will play fast but sloppily. Bad Brains is fast and technical because they have wonderful musicians in the band. The guitar player, Dr. No, is widely considered the best guitar player in hardcore, and he's just a good guitar player, not even for hardcore, he's just a great guitar player. And the other thing that makes him so unique was their live shows with HR, the lead singer, who is a complete wild man. And it's hard to capture that on record, but when you hear this record, you will understand how wild, absolutely wild HR. And and in live shows, he do backflips, you know, jump off the stage, just absolute wild man. And I think this record captures it really well. I would say most of the songs are good, but the best known songs are Sailing On and Band in DC. else you got i'm not a metal head by any means i'm a punk rocker but there's some metal i like and the subgenre of metal that i really like is uh, thrash metal and thrash metal uh, was basically metal heads heard hardcore decided they wanted to inject that that speed of hardcore into metal so they started playing fast metal and the big bands for speed uh thrash metal are metallica slayer megadeth but uh for me i love slayer slayer is the, the only metal band i follow my favorite record by them is seasons in the abyss which is actually their fifth record, and it came out in 1990. Great record. Yes, yes it is. Um, and the reason I think the record is so good is that their early records were kind of like standard metal, like 
you know, about hell, and there was a very detailed long songs. Well, by the third record, Rain and Blood, they had dropped that sound and really focused on the speed of it all and just being fast and hard, almost like hardcore, but played, you know, with metal styling. So for me, I really love Seasons in the Abyss, and that's their fifth record. Uh, the Rolling Stone album guide describes the record as having complex guitar riffs that proceed at both blinding speed tempos and mid-tempo hefts, and that the song's uh, theme shy away from the fantasy of hells here on Earth, and instead to the music to conquer nations by, which I love that description because... Yes, you could definitely conquer a nation listening to Slayer. One of the reasons this record is so good is the band made a conscious effort to incorporate the speed of their first hit record, Rain and Blood, while also including some of the mid-tempo grooves that were found on their previous record, South of Heaven. So Seasons of the Abyss is really like a mixture of their styles and kind of the perfect mixture in my eyes. The most popular songs, uh, both of which are considered thrash metal classics, are War Ensemble and Seasons in the Abyss. It is fire record, man. I love it. It it's so hard. What else you got? I got one more, and I, I think you're gonna touch on this era a little bit, but I, I can't help but mention uh, Eric Bean Rakim, paid in full when we're talking about golden era hip hop. And I think you're gonna delve into that a little bit. But basically, after I fell in love with hardcore, um, and you know, when I was young, I fell in love with rap next. And uh, my background is in literature, and I was a voracious reader most of my life. So the wordplay and the poetry of hip hop really attracted me to it. I know this is blasphemy to hip hop heads, but early hip hop sounds a little corny to me. Be- oh. uh, I know, I know, man. Oh, I know I was gonna hurt you with that me. one. <laughs> But um, just because it was the focus was on uh, kind of the party vibe and rocking the party and all that. And while I dig some of that stuff, things really got good for me when I heard Rock Him. When Paid in Full came out, the focus went away from the party vibe and really, really to the complexity of the lyrics and the flow. And I really appreciate that about Rakim, and that's what attracted me to him. But uh, Rakim's rapping, uh, which pioneered the use of internal rhymes in hip-hop, which is much more complex than end rhymes, which I'm sure you know as a rapper, Indeed. Uh, set a higher standard of lyricism in the genre and served as a template for future rappers. And this is something I hadn't uh, thought of either. The album's heavily sampling by Eric B. influenced a lot of hip-hop production, because before that, a lot of the, the drum breaks were programmed and all that, so... He, he started sampling heavy, and this is a very influential record because of that as well. Unlike most of the MCs at the time, Rakim employed a relaxed, stoked delivery that was influenced by jazz. He did not yell like his contemporaries did, like Run DMC or Beastie Boys or something like that. And uh, the most recognizable songs from the records are I Ain't No Joke, Paid in Full, and Eric B. is President. I ain't no joke. I used to let the mic smoke. Now I slam it when I'm done and make sure it's broke. When good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, man. Um, so, yeah, as you mentioned, I'm super into golden era hip hop. One title I wanted to talk about from the Speed Date with a Record series is Strictly Business by E Double and Parrish Smith, a.k.a. EPMD. That's right. Uh, they hail from Long Island, and Strictly Business is their debut album. They put it out in 1988, the year that many kind of consider to be the breakthrough year of the golden era. Right, right. Strictly Business was produced by the duo, and there are no guest vocals. Two songs you're likely to recognize are You Gots to Chill and It's My Thing. It's my- 
Both of which were singles from the record, uh, impeccable records to say the least. Another record I wanted to mention from the series is 1994's Illmatic by one Mr. Nazir Jones, oh, aka man. Nas. This was Nas's debut album and it boasts production from an all-star lineup including DJ Premier, LES, Pete Rock, and Large Professor. Mm-hmm. I will generally try to tell anyone that will listen that Illmatic is the single best full-length hip-hop record of all time, and I know that I'm not alone in that you assessment. You are not. You are not. Every track on Illmatic is essentially pure heat. However, some songs folks may recognize are Halftime, which was also on the Zebrahead soundtrack, or the Q-Tip produced One Love. You know you got a son. I heard he looks like you. Why don't your lady write you? So let's see some visit. That's when she got hyper. Flipping. Talking about he acts too rough. What are you listening to now? Um, I, I'm still listening to hardcore and hip hop largely, but uh, the the band I'm really into right now, hardcore wise, um, is called Dead Heat, and they're from Oxnard, California. Nardcore, representing Nardcore. Uh, their record, World of War, came out a month ago. Their new record, and it is it is what I would call crossover hardcore because it has a lot of influence from metal, but more like I don't know, like Leeway or Stormtroopers of Death or something like that. Um, or Slayer even. And it's very fast, has lots of riffs, but also has uh, yelled vocals. So it's it's still very much hardcore, even though it has a lot of metal influences. And as far as hip hop, I've been listening to that new Zarface, the one with uh, MF Doom, Super yeah. What. Yeah. Uh, I've been enjoying it rest quite a peace. bit. Yeah, rest in peace, MF Doom. I've been enjoying it quite a bit. I, I love Zarface because you can't go wrong with Inspect Deck, 7L and Esoteric, and then you put MF Doom in the mix. and. It's fantastic, and I just love that it's it's mostly battle raps, and I I love battle raps, so perfect yeah. record for me. Thanks, Dustin. All right, thanks, Bob. That's going to do it for today's episode. I'd like to thank my guests, Parker Edison and Dustin Vogel. As per usual, thanks to Pete Meisner and Luke Henshaw for contributing original music, and a special thank you to my staff here at the Balboa Branch Library. We recently reopened to the public after 15 months, and they didn't miss a beat. Not only was the community glad to see them, I was grateful for their expertise and professionalism. For more information on any of the content you heard about in this episode, please see our show notes or visit us at www.sandiego.gov forward slash SDPL podcast. Before we go, I have a request. We're trying to build our audience and nothing helps more than listener ratings, reviews, and recommendations. If you have a few moments, let us know how we're doing via the rating and review system in your favorite podcast app. Also, consider sharing our podcast on your social media. Thanks in advance.